0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum. Rahmatullah. Hey, hey, hey. Allah, We have unleashed the Kraken, you know, and let SwissCast out of its cage. This is our inaugural podcast with yours truly, your brother, Suhaib Webb. Assalamu alaikum to everybody. It's really an honor to be with you all. And I'm really, really thankful. Um, we've had a large number of downloads over the last week. I just need you guys to do one or two things for me. It's really, really uber important. Not Lyft important, uber important. The first thing is because of the way the optics of Apple and Google, I need you guys to leave reviews at the Apple Store and the Google Store. That is really important. Five stars if you feel it's worthy. Five prayers, five pillars, five stars. And then a small sentence like, this is the greatest thing since he needs samosa. You know what I mean? Something just like that amazing. That's really, really, really important. The second thing is I need you to spread awareness about the podcast. If you feel it's worthy of that, I believe in community grown efforts. Uh, I'm not someone that likes to buy likes. I don't believe in that. Um, I don't have all the bells and whistles. I'm from the older generation, I guess. But your help really helps drive community driven content is important and helps us own our narrative so if you feel it's worthy let people know about it now as you've noticed what we're posting right now are usually like the courses on for example the explanation or abridgment of imam ibn jozi's work some explanations of quran and friday sermons but from time to time i plan actually to do and host a podcast for you with guests um, touching on topics that are popular in the American society, the English-speaking society, because one of our challenges as an American Muslim community is a challenge of language and vocabulary. What I mean by that is oftentimes we don't find within our religious tradition people focusing on calibrating language that helps us address the issues around us and makes us relevant and makes us problem solvers for the, the society that we live in. That's really important. Allah says about the Prophet Ali, Salatul وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا لناس, right. We sent you with all the solutions for people. Sallallahu alayhi wa And the outcome of that is you have a community which is hyper-engaged within itself. So we're not able to engage the broader society, but we're busy tearing each other down or arguing with one another. May Allah protect us. So with that in mind, I plan to try my best to tackle issues that are out there and then tie them into our community where needed will be like he so today we're going to be talking about guns walls and patriarchy and of course all of us know that on february fourteenth two thousand seventeen this massive school shooting happened in parkland florida um, and that of course brought to center stage the discussion around gun control guns violence schools Young people, youth leadership. I mean, a whole number of issues were unpacked primarily that was helped by the demographic that was impacted by that shooting. Um, and, 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 and we have to be honest to say that gun violence for communities of color in this country has existed, uh, since this country's inception, more or less. Um, but what brought it full center is that this happened, of course, uh, in the suburbs, but, you know, communities of color, whether at the hands of the state or otherwise, have been impacted by violence through weapons and gun violence in particular uh, with, with, with unfortunate consistency. Now, that's not the subject of our conversation. What we want to talk about is if, if you and I are going to go to an interfaith event or an MSA event or just coffee talk with our friends or sitting at a lunch table uh, or even with our kids and this conversation comes up. How can we be informed uh, regarding an opinion? And I'm saying that very carefully, an opinion on the idea of gun control. And then that, of course, encouraging us to look at um, a really, really well thought out, deliberate uh, coalition building with others who may share those values with us so that we can work uh, to better society. Because I want you to remember this. Muslims are not a special interest group in America. There are aspects of course that make us a special interest group like protecting our our life and liberty but that that intersects with other people what we are are a a faith-based community who believes in the common good of all citizens of this country and and that that's a a different discussion to have in the future but that helps us achieve the balance between um, absolute assimilation and absolute isolation we say that we believe that we are a faith-based group that protects us from absolute assimilation, right? When we say that we are invested in the common good of all citizens in general, right? That helps us also avoid irresponsible isolation. That's that wasatiyah that we talked about. Now, let's talk quickly about, and I don't want to take a lot of your time. My goal is that you get this quick on the way to work, on the way to school. You come out like, yo, I'm ready to go. You know, Suhaib, so, hey, mashallah, by the grace of Allah, has hooked it up. Let's talk about the first important point is that carrying arms and arms in general is viewed by Islamic law as permissible. This is really, really important. And the reason that it's viewed as permissible is there is no definitive sacred text that says in general, having weapons is forbidden. But what we find, and and we can, of course, apply this to guns now, is that there are times when having weapons is commendable. There are times when it's an obligation. There are times when it's disliked and there's times when it's forbidden. And that's why the discussion primarily in the books of jurisprudence, Islamic law is very robust, especially the chapter on selling things um of course chapters on uh, uh jihad fighting uh even in 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 the in the, in the sections on prayer for example when is it allowed to have a weapon in the mosque Fr- from these type of discussions we find that the general principle around weapons is that islamic law was silent on their prohibition remember this what's called ibn hazm called it al-maskutu anha So the first thing I need you to remember as we get into this discussion is that the default ruling of weapons is permissibility. What that means is a person has a choice, own a gun, not own a gun, have a gun, not have a gun. It's not something that falls under being forbidden. Now there's a few places in our sacred text where weapons are actually mentioned explicitly. Um, and they also, because of the way that they're framed, Elude to the idea that our scholars have mentioned that weapons are permissible. Uh, and that is because if you look at these different texts, you see that the ruling can change based on the situation. So, for example, in the fourth chapter of the Quran, verse 106, Allah says, And when you are with them, establish prayer. This is talking about when you are with them during war, establish salah, O Muhammad, sallallahu Alaihi wasallam. And, and let a group of them, Ifatum Let a portion of those people pray with you. aslihatahum, And let them be armed. Let them take their weapons. So here we see this is an order for people to be armed in a case where they need to defend themselves. We also find a very similar type of verse um, in the 8th chapter of the Qur'an. Uh, تُرْهِبُونَ بِهِ عَدُوا وعدو right? وَعَدُوا While Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, use these weapons to terrorize the enemies of God, talking about in battle, right? And the, your enemies talking about in battle. We see some Islamic Islamophobes try to misuse this verse, but it's talking specifically about war. Um, there are also a number of prophetic narrations that allow us to see the scope of uh, weapons possession owning a gun, for example, using a gun. Uh, the Prophet encouraged us to teach our children how to shoot arrows. The Prophet said that in the quwa, right, that strength is found in someone being able to shoot an arrow. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and quwa here means to accomplish something good, either by defending oneself or for example, hunting, or of course, in battle. Uh, The Prophet also mentioned a very beautiful hadith that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised to enter in paradise three people who were involved in the production preparation and usage of an arrow sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he said al khayr that they used it for good or he used the word fi sabilillah right which in the general word means for something good specifically he's talking about battle the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also said in a very beautiful narration which is important la yushiranna ahadakum ila akhihi bisilah no one should jokingly direct or point a weapon at a brother or sister and in general any human being as is mentioned by the shurrah those people who explain this hadith so it's not allowed to play or joke around with weapons so here now the ruling changed it was an obligation then it went to something that was encouraged now we're seeing that it's something which is forbidden so we see the ruling changing and another narration the prophet which is a sound narration mentioned by imam Nawi uh, in the Riyadh al-Salihin, you can find, uh, who he, he narrated it from there, where the Prophet Sallallahu he ordered his companions, layam should be safe, right, that they should not walk in Medina with their swords unsheathed. This is considered makruh, So here what we see is, the point I'm trying to make is that weapons take different rulings according to different situations, but according to a great professor out of Palestine, Dr. Kandil, he said that there is no explicit prohibition of weapons in general, but those prohibitions are contextual to certain situations. And for that reason, scholars of Islamic law, when they would mention weapons, they would mention it in the context of the five famous rulings of Sharia permissible, impermissible, disliked, uh, uh, encouraged, right, and, and obligatory. So, so, what that tells us especially in the area of islamic law is that having weapons is permissible and that's because the sharia in a general way did not prohibit them what imam ibn hazm called al-maskutu anha something which the sharia which sacred text did not address something which is he said silent And 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 that also implies that its prohibition, right, has to be conditioned. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And that's why Doctor Candil, in his discussion, he says that the default ruling is permissibility, and an obligation when you're defending yourself, your family, your citizen, your, your your fellow citizens, or your country, and can be forbidden if a person intends harm or intimidation, right? So we see the rule changing but the general principle is permissibility now that takes us into our discussion because that's really really uber important i keep saying it remember permissibility 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 that means that the default understanding of this is that islam allows it islam allows someone to have weapons if they want to now when something is permissible it can be forbidden Based on certain axioms of Islamic law, and this is going to take us into our discussion, there are certain principles that would allow something which is permissible by Islam to be made forbidden, but carefully and cautiously. Because this is tabdil hukmillah, like this is changing a sacred ruling. And to change a sacred ruling demands someone is extremely cautious. Now, when we talk about issues of permissibility, which are the majority of the issues in Islam, one of the commonly used axioms to address something which is permissible is called سَدْ Sud Sadd means to block, صد, Sadd S-A-D-D الضَرِعَ is something which غَيْرُ مَمْنُوعٍ فِي نَفْسِهِ something which is permissible وَلَكِنْ يُخَافُ فِي ارْتِكَابِهِ الوقوع فِي But you fear that by doing it, it may lead to something forbidden. So this is an axiom used by jurists throughout history, cautiously and carefully at times to either prohibit or to modify the application of something permissible because it may lead to, remember this, a greater harm. And as Al-Qarafi al maliki he's a great jurist, he talked about that the idea of Sada-Dhara'a or sadda dharia is really based on achieving benefit in harm. This is one of the most important aspects of Sharia in its meta-expression is bringing benefit and preventing harm. So, for example, when we show you how this plays out in the Quran and Sunnah, you're going to say like, man, subhanAllah, man, Islam is amazing. And that's really what I want to happen in this discussion. Islam is not a simple, especially Islamic law, is not a simple subject. And, and you know, I see as someone who's trained in Islamic law, uh, even within the Muslim community, a lack of real depth in understanding the relationship between rulings, evidences, axioms application and here's an example when something is permissible when it's been made permissible by the sacred texts because they didn't address that thing they didn't say it's forbidden in order to change that you have to be extremely cautious and extremely deliberate in your cautiousness and understanding the axioms that that engage the idea of changing it from permissible to forbidden. Allah says, لا تحرم ما حل الله لك. Don't make forbidden what Allah has left permissible. And of course, the famous hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, who said, Indeed, Allah فرضى, right? فرائدًا فلا تضيعوها. Right? Allah has made certain things obligatory, so don't. Don't neglect him. And he's set limits, so don't go beyond those limits. And, and, and he's made things forbidden, so don't fall into it. And here's the important thing. And he's made certain things permissible. He was quiet about them. As a mercy to you, so don't open them up in order to open go into that and open it up you've got to be extremely cautious so we talk about the idea of which means to block potential harm to block the potential harm of something permissible scholars were extremely cautious and the two madhhabs who used it the most are the marikis and the hanbalis may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless them now let's define this axiom and then talk about that in the light of gun control and then the failure to apply this axiom properly, especially when we talk about women and women's issues in the American Muslim community. Imam al-Baji, he's really an awesome, awesome jurist. He was a, a Spanish scholar. He said that biha ila he said that Sadduh is an issue who at the surface, it appears to be permissible, but it can lead to the forbidden, meaning here something harmful to someone's physical well-being or their hereafter, to this life or the next. The, the, the definition that we're going to unpack here is given by a brilliant scholar from Saudi Arabia, Dr. Abu Hatim al hawani from Al-Qura University, who says, and I'm putting these notes, inshallah, on on the podcast page once I clean them up. He says, "Whoat harimun mu'akat limal a'aslufihi 'adham al-tahrim, li'annahu yufdi ila muhrram infda'a mu'akkida'na aurajha." Wow. This is one super, uber important definition. And for those of you who don't speak Arabic, I know it can become difficult. But listen, we need to build the level of literacy in our community and not just settle for, for entertainment and being motivated by cool speeches. We, we need to engage and learn our religion. There are people who are learning our religion now who don't like us. What about people who claim to like us and like this religion and don't invest in anything but simple motivation? It's problematic. So Abu Hatim al-Awani, he said that Saddu is a temporary prohibition for an act, something permissible, whose default is, the ab- is, is, is permissibility. Its default is not Tahrim, is impermissibility. Because that act, if you do it, may lead to something forbidden, Based on certainty or or a strong inclination. And I'm, I'm going to unpack this because it's not easy to translate. But what he's saying is that سَدُّ is making something which is permissible, forbidden, for a temporary time. Because doing it may lead with certainty or a strong assumption to harm, to something forbidden. Now, there's a number of texts in Quran and Sunnah that support this idea of prohibiting the permissible. For example, in the sixth chapter of the Quran, verse 108, الله اللَّهَ Allah says to the people in Mecca, the, the fledgling community of the Prophet, do not insult the gods that those people pray to. Right? You would think in Mecca it would be allowed to insult the gods of the Meccans. Right? why because by doing that they may insult god which is a greater harm a greater evil so something which initially seemed jurists say is permissible is insulting those people's idols and stuff is been made forbidden because it may cause them to insult allah subhanahu wa ta'ala imam al-qurdubi said that this injunction this command is there till the end of time? It's not allowed to insult insult other people's gods, their houses of worship, their religions, based on this verse. Another example is found in Sahih Muslim and the Muatta of Imam Malik that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, after conquering Mecca, his wife said to him, "Are you going to rebuild the Kaaba on the قواعد of Ibrahim on the foundations of Ibrahim?" And the Prophet said, Kufri If it wasn't that your people just became Muslim in Mecca, I would do it. So he avoids something permissible, right? He treats it as though it's not allowed because by doing so, it may lead to a greater harm, right? Now, this is really, really important because that's going to take us into the conditions around the application of this axiom. So let's go back to the, the 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 definition of Abu Hatim Al-Awani, who he says تحريم مؤقت التحريم. As we close it out, he said that this is a temporary form of making something haram, who was which was originally permissible, because by doing it, by engaging in it, it may lead to something forbidden. Based on certainty, empirical investigation and study, or a, a supported assumption, meaning the broader community sees it that way. From that definition, we can talk about gun control, the idea of gun control, and we can also apply this to certain sad situations we're seeing now in the Muslim community, especially when it comes to women, walls, and patriarchy. The first thing is that we understand from his, his his definition is that the harm that could be incurred by engaging an act which is permissible has to be considerable right it's not small in nature it's not rare so for example we see I've seen recently people saying women shouldn't go to mosques why well if a woman goes to the mosque something bad may happen that's nadir most of the time when women go to mosques first of all the prophet said you can't forbid them but then those who allow it to be Prohibited. Say, well, women going to mosque is going to lead to a problem. Well, that's a misapplication of this principle because Al Qarafi says Wa la hukma lah. that something which is insignificant has no ruling. meaning mean, it stays as permissible. In fact, he said Fama min baqin ala asl that something which is its potential harm is like minuscule, right? Then, then that thing has to stay on its default ruling, which is permissibility. Because you're not allowed to change the ruling of God in a sloppy way. And he said, وَلَا يُلْتَفَتُ إِلَىٰ قَوْلِ مَنْ مَنْعَهُ And you shouldn't even pay attention to the one who, who says that it should be prohibited. Subhanallah. Another important, uh, axiom regarding this, النادرة, that it is not allowed to take away a greater benefit. For example, women going to the mosque, increasing their faith, learning their deen, right? You're not allowed to stop that greater benefit in the face of a minuscule harm. So number one is that we say when something is going to be prohibited, right? It's not small in nature. Now, with guns, we could say that you can't ban guns, but definitely there's a case for gun control. People don't need. I I have actually was shot at twice as a young person, uh, and and more recently, um, I know Hamza Yusuf wrote about the Sheikh Hamza, um, but the nightclub shooter in Florida. I was contacted by the FBI and told. He was looking for my house, right? So people having like assault rifles and, 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 and guns that are known, right, without a doubt to inflict massive casualties would definitely be eligible for the idea that their harm is greater than their benefit when it comes to the population having them uh, uh, and even even law enforcement at times. Number two is that it does not lead to a greater problem. So if you're going to forbid something permissible and it leads to a greater problem or a greater harm, then it's not allowed. So again, you go back to the idea of rebuilding the Kaaba and not doing it. You go back to the idea of banning women from mosques. That's going to lead to a greater problem because they may find themselves distant from their faith, which I've seen. They may not find a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they may suffer emotional and psychological harm and feel that this community doesn't care about me. Now there's a few more principles and and, and we're going to wrap it up soon inshallah and that is that when he says tahrimu مؤقت and this is really important that implies that this is hukum istithna'i. that this is an exception to the norm, the norm is permissible so muakkat means that it's restricted by a certain time And that's why most scholars say that when you prohibit something permissible, it's related to a specific time and place, meaning it can't last. Now, I'll give you an example of a a misapplication of that is a wall in the back of the mosque. Obviously that happened after the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the wall in the back of the mosque, the idea is formulated around Sadudaraya protecting people from harm. But why is it still there? That was for a specific time and place where something happened that led to certainty. Now if you talk about it, people will say, well, you know, it may or may not. Well, there is an important principle that we're going to talk about in a second, that has to be based on facts, certainty, and strong empirical data, right? It can't be based on whims, notions, doubts, you know, personal experience of one person because you're talking about policy so it has to be related to specific time and place meaning it has to end and that's why there's a really awesome statement of scholars who say that you should treat taking something back to the permissible like you treat when you're allowed to do haram getting away from it so like someone for example is starving and the only thing they have to eat is bacon right you can't eat bacon for the rest of your life you could eat bacon for that time period but as soon as you have the opportunity to go back to you know uh, uh chicken key uh, you know keema or whatever you've got to go back to it the same veracity that's used to run away from the haram and get back to the halal has to be used to get away from the haram prohibiting the permissible to establishing the permissible again because the permissible is the order of god So instead of settling for walls in the back of the mosque, instead of settling for not allowing women to go to the mosque, for example, or go to schools, for example, in the name of this axiom, people have to work to remove the environmental circumstances that created the problem in the first place. We don't see that, unfortunately. So it's related to a specific time and place. The last is that it has to be based on certainty. And, and that implies that it's not based on whims, assumptions, or doubts. Empirical data, because this is going to drive policy, institutional policy, family, uh, state, you name it. And I'll give you an example of how this was was misused, was the issue of women not driving in Saudi Arabia. That's based on an assumption, uh, which of course now has changed. Um, again, the wall in the back of the mosque. Many of the patriarchal positions found... Uh, in muslim communities are based on, on culture and the misapplication of understanding how axioms guide how we engage the permissible now that takes us back to the issue of guns and when we go to the books of fiqh while certainly we wouldn't advocate for guns to be completely forbidden We can partner with other communities and work with other communities around the notion of tinkering with the permissible and tinkering with the permissible um, is something that can last forever. Making something completely forbidden that was permissible can only be done by the sacred texts, right? But by jurists and scholars and others and fiqh councils, you name it, it's something that can, it's under nawazil, can only happen temporarily. But modifying those permissible things, to achieve a greater good in society can last forever. And an example of this would be not to ban guns, which we see some people wanting uh, to occur, but to legislate responsible gun ownership and protect society from greater harm. And that's why we find, um, it's mentioned by Imam al-Hattab al-Madiki, is a great scholar. He wrote a brilliant explanation of of uh, al-Khalil. And which is a great book in Islamic law. And he says very beautifully that, you know, Walmet fi Hada when it comes to selling guns to someone who you know for sure is going to use those guns to harm somebody, it is not allowed to sell them those guns. Right? This is found in a text which is hundreds of years hundreds of years old. Another example would be that is the Malikis would say, During a time of civil war, it is not allowed to sell weapons. Right. To people, because, you know, they're going to use them to kill each other and killing is haram. So now what we've taken from from today's podcast and it it was a little heavy, uh, but I believe we have to raise the discourse and feel free to differ with me. I don't I don't take it that way is is that there is really a lot of potential in our faith to address contemporary issues, whether for or against And that the idea of gun control falls under the idea of permissibility, things which are permissible can be made, forbidden, based on certain conditions. And then we see the misapplication of this, the sloppy application of this, really being used in communities, sisters that are listening to this, you know, I really want to encourage you to maintain your iman and keep your head above water, man, because you are subjected unfortunately a lot of times to people who have no idea what they're talking about and i say that with tremendous amount of respect and you can see by the type of research that they're doing that they have not really been thoroughly educated in in the the current of islamic law and how it moves so the idea of prohibiting the permissible has to be based on certainty it's conditioned on time and place Uh, it cannot lead to a greater harm We apply that to walls, prohibiting women from going to the mosque, prohibiting women from teaching, you name it. All this misapplication of this axiom has really harmed people. And then we took this and talked about how banning guns completely would not be something that we consider in line with our faith values, but modifying right, and and, and nuancing how guns are used in society is definitely something supported by our tradition and I mentioned here uh, a text of it uh, in in a classic book of Islamic law inshallah in the coming weeks we're going to be talking about God's plan song by Drake what is God's plan we plan to have an interview with some really awesome people like Rami Nashashibi, Khalid Beydoun, you name it talking about a number of issues that are kind of popping in the streets from time to time I hope you enjoyed this podcast Please, please, please engage, disagree, I don't have a problem with it, share, show some love. I need those reviews. Barakallahu Fikum Wa salallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa wasallam. wa rahmatullah.